This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com Major funding for this Tanya class is provided by the Mettel Corporation. Additional funding is provided by Tanya students like you. Lessons in Tanya The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg We are in the middle of chapter 38 And you know, everything in Judaism is the famous story The, um, the couple comes to the rabbi for counseling and the rabbi first interviews the husband alone. The rabbi listens to the husband's side and says, you know, you're 100% right. And then he sends, he dismisses the husband, brings the wife in, he listens to her, and he says, you know, you're 100% right. At this point, the rabbi's wife was overhearing the both conversations. And she, when she leaves, and the wife leaves, she walks in, his wife walks in and says, I don't understand. How could he be right and how could she be right? Rabbi listens and says, you know, you're right too. <laughs> so Judaism, on one hand, we had this whole argument that the action, the deed, is what matters most. In Judaism, it's the deed that matters most. It's not love, intent, philosophy, meditation, spirituality. It's the deed, it's the action. As reflected in Jewish law. What if you do the mitzvah without heart, without soul, without feeling, without any refinement, but you've done the mitzvah? You did the mitzvah. If someone comes to shul and he mouths the words of prayer, but it's not heartfelt, it's not soulful, you've done the mitzvah. Versus the one who sits in shul with his mouth closed, silently, lost in meditation, but doesn't physically say daven, doesn't physically move his lips, doesn't physically do the deed, doesn't do the act. He doesn't have a mitzvah. So all the religion in the world, and all the meditation in the world, and all the spirituality in the world, and the higher levels of consciousness mean absolutely nothing. Unless there's an action, there's a deed. That's the whole emphasis, and that's what's unique about Judaism versus all other religions. The emphasis on the deed, on the action. That's on the one hand. But on the other hand, <laughs> the Torah says that if someone does a mitzvah without intent, if you pray without heartfelt prayer, no heart, no soul. It's like a body without a soul. What's a body without a soul? A corpse. So on the other hand, we see the Torah is telling us that the soul is key, is critical, is integral. Without this body, without the soul, it's lifeless, it's a corpse. So you're approaching Hashem, you're offering Him a corpse. There's no heart, there's no feeling. It's dead. It's mechanical. It's by rote. And that's very external. There's no passion. And there's no joy. And there's no sincerity. And there's no vitality. If it doesn't touch the person personally and subjectively and deeply, then it's very superficial. Yes, you have the mitzvah, you have the body. But it's a corpse. It's a body without a soul. So on one hand, the Torah gives us this clear contrast just to highlight the point. That what's the essential point? It's the deed. The proof is, take one extreme versus the other extreme. If you have intent without action, you have zero. If you have action without intent, 
you're on the train. You're on the plane. So how do you how do you measure the level of someone's intention and their soul and their their level of output, let's say, and how how, how does one measure that? You know, the uh, the Torah tells us that Hashem seeks the heart. Hashem looks at the heart. Hashem wants a person. Hashem is looking for a person's sincerity. In that sense, it's very personal, it's very subjective. Only Hashem knows our heart, and He knows if we're sincere. The truth is, we also know when we're sincere. If something moves us, if something touches us deeply, and if we feel inspired, and we feel uplifted, and we're open to change, and we're open to grow, and open for, for when we feel an inner movement, an inner stirring of our soul, we're sincere. And you know, sometimes it's the effort. And Hashem sees a sincere effort. Like you can have a person, let's say, who's giving one penny to tzedakah. But that was so difficult for that person. It took so much out of that person. The person had to struggle, had to overcome his urge, his instinct. Versus a person who can give, give a huge amount of money to tzedakah, but for him it's nothing. It's an afterthought. There's no struggle involved. There's no, inner, there's no input. There's no personal input. There's no personal involvement. So in that sense, it's very personal and very subjective. And also within each person, every day is different. Today is a struggle, and tomorrow you've reached your comfort zone. You've grown used to it already. So there's no longer any inner struggle. There's no longer any inner movement. Uh, versus when a, person is in, when a person is engaged, when it's personally engaged, and is involved, then that's all Hashem asks. Hashem asks every person to be sincere. Do it wholeheartedly. Whatever you're doing, do it 100%. Don't do anything half-hearted. Whatever you do, do 100%. Right now I'm doing someone a favor. Don't do them half-hearted. Do, do the person who do it wholeheartedly. Your whole heart and soul is into it. Right now I'm praying. I am present. I am totally praying. I'm not praying and my mind is elsewhere and Right now I'm studying Torah. It's 100%. My mind is here. My mind is fully engaged. Whatever you do, be totally present. Be 100%. Well, you keep it really, it's, it sounds like you have to keep it between you and God rather than watching each other and making totally. assessments on other people. Totally. Never judge a person by its cover. That's why you can have a Jew in Jerusalem who's doing 612 mitzvot. You can have a Jew in Iowa who's doing one mitzvah. But the difference is that the Jew in Jerusalem, perhaps yesterday, did also 612 mitzvot. So he's stagnating. The Jew in Iowa, perhaps yesterday, did zero mitzvot. He's growing. So who's more connected? Externally, never judge a book by its cover. You never know who's more in touch with their neshama, who's more in touch with their godly soul, the godly spark. And that's really the whole essence of Chabad Lubavitch, is not to judge anyone, not to label anyone. Everyone is welcome. Because never judge a book by its cover. And it's also a challenge to the most committed and the most observant Jew, someone who grew up all his life observant. Because you're, don't be complacent and smug and self-satisfied. Just because you're doing more than the other Jew doesn't mean that you're, it's not where you are in the ladder. It's which direction you go. If Hashem sees you're climbing, you're growing, you're challenging yourself, you're, you're, you're aspiring, then you're connected. Versus if you're stagnating and you just, you're just on automatic pilot. You're just, just mechanical. It's just by rote. It's soulless. There's no passion. There's no joy. 
There's no soul. There's no depth. There's, there's no sincerity. There's nothing genuine. It's very cold and very superficial. Hashem wants, Hashem wants our whole being. He wants us personally involved. He wants us, our whole being engaged, fully engaged. Our mind should be engaged. Our heart should be engaged, our soul. And that's what He wants of us. He wants us to be totally engaged in the process. It's not enough we should do the mitzvah superficially and externally. He wants every fiber of our being and every bone in our body completely engaged in the mitzvah and involved and connected through the mitzvah. But could somebody maybe hear that, well, if I can't get myself totally engaged, I'm not going to do it. You know, it could have a different... Okay, so on the other very good question. Very good question. On the other hand, just like no matter, since God is infinite, so no matter what we accomplish, there's always room for growth. On the other hand, because God is infinite, the tiniest baby step, each baby step that we make is also infinite, has infinite value. The Rebbe would always speak about the difference in Hebrew between the word of exile and redemption. It's the same Hebrew words. What's the Hebrew word for exile? Gola. What's the Hebrew word for redemption? Geula. The same letters. What's the difference? Aleph. Redemption has an aleph. It means all it takes is one Jew, one mitzvah, to tip the scale and to change the whole world. It's like the atom. The atom is, is, is the tiniest element of the universe. You can't even see an atom. It's extra sensory. But if you approach that atom properly, you can unleash an infinite amount of energy, an inexhaustible amount of energy. That's the power of the tiniest mitzvah, the slightest mitzvah. That's why our own personal Yetzirah puts in so much effort to try to get us to stop doing that one mitzvah. We may suffer from a lack of self-esteem. Who am I? What difference do I make? I'm not a good Jew. I'm not behaving properly. So who cares? I'm off the radar. The Yetzirah doesn't, doesn't see us that way. The Yetzirah sees us very objectively. Do you know the power of that one single good deed? That one smile you can smile to that one person? That one word of encouragement that you can tell someone? That one positive thought? That one penny to tzedakah that you're going to give? That one extra minute that you're going to study Torah? Do you know the infinite value and power of that single mitzvah? It's worthwhile to put all the effort in the world. I remember when the Rebbe came out for the first time with his mitzvah campaign, stopping a Jew in 42nd Street with a mitzvah tank and asking, are you Jewish? Did you put on Philip today? Come in and put on Philip." So many people like ridicule. What's the difference? He's stopping a Jew. He's going to put on tefillin. It's a minute. You'll never see him again. What difference does it make? Why put so much effort into getting one Jew who's not involved and not committed and doesn't even know anything about it and yet to get that one Jew to light a Shabbat candle one time in their life or to put on tefillin once in their life, perhaps for the first time in their life. But do you know the power of that one single mitzvah? That mitzvah, firstly, the person will never be the same again. When you do a mitzvah, you're never the same. It changes you to your core and to your essence. And it affects the whole entire universe. That's the power of one single because it's infinite. So on one hand, infinity is expressed in the fact that the tiniest has infinite value. On the other hand, because it's infinite, you're always restless. You can never rest on your laurels and you can never be smug and content and grow complacent. It's a constant challenge. God is dynamic. Godliness is dynamic. Being Jewish is to be dynamic and vibrant, to constantly grow and challenge yourself. Because like anything that's alive, why limit it? And mitzvot, the nature of Judaism is, mitzvot are very addictive. As it says in Ethics of Our Fathers, one mitzvah leads to another mitzvah. And there's no cure to this addiction. There's no mitzvah anonymous. One mitzvah will lead you to another mitzvah. 
it, you, it whets your appetite. Once you do one good deed, now you want to do two good deeds. Before you thought two good deeds, not me. Me? I'll never do two good deeds. Now you can do two good deeds. Now I want four. Now I want to become a millionaire. Four, I want eight. So yes, we can start out doing the marathon. If you, haven't, if you haven't been running for the last 30 years of your life, you can't suddenly make a decision, okay, I want to run the marathon. It doesn't work that way. That's education. You have to start by first walking around the block once. Then you start slowly jogging, and then you work your way up to be able to run the marathon. So yes, maybe our ancestors were marathon runners. They were. And maybe many Jews today, due to no fault of their own, they didn't have the opportunity um, and therefore were simply are not capable, it's simply impossible to suddenly become a marathon runner. But that's not what Hashem asks of us. Hashem asks of us, do one mitzvah. You could do one small mitzvah. Everyone, every Jew can take upon themselves to improve, to grow. From the greatest to the smallest. That's all Hashem asks of us. Could you imagine if every Jew in the Upper East Side did one more mitzvah? <laughs> It would revolutionize human consciousness. Mashiach would be here in a second. It's as simple as that. It's such a simple program. It's such a doable program. It's so simple, if you think about it. If you boil it down to its essence. It's so doable. Just do a mitzvah. Do a good deed. And you know what's going to happen? You'll do one, and you say, you know, I like it. It feels good. It's great. I sleep like a baby at night. It's wonderful. I'm so proud. And now I want to do two. Now I'm feeling rich. Now I want to do four. Then I want to do eight. But it's natural. It's a natural thing. Because when you do a mitzvah, something clicks inside. Something connects. You feel connected in the deepest place. So that's all Hashem asks of us. Hashem asks of us to be sincere. It could be the tiniest, the slightest. Don't underestimate. It's invaluable. The slightest thing that we do is so invaluable, so precious to Hashem. It's beyond human comprehension. The nachas that we can give to Hashem if you think about it, that we, as puny as we are, as tiny, as seemingly insignificant as we are, if you look at the whole universe, you can't even find the planet Earth and the universe, let alone within planet Earth, find us, let alone within the span of time and history and all generations, find that little us. In the scheme of things, you think to yourself, who am I, what difference do I make, can I make? But it's not so. We, as puny and insignificant as we, we, we seem we are, to Hashem we have infinite power. We can give Hashem so much nachas. So that alone should encourage us. That alone should give us the energy and the strength to help us overcome the difficulties and the challenges and just and do the right thing and do it with heartfelt, with soul, with intent, with meaning, with life. <clears throat> Inject it with life. You know, you should, we should come alive by doing the mitzvah. Not just cold and mechanical. And that's the saddest thing of all. The saddest thing of all is when you meet a Jew who's observant, who's doing the mitzvah, who perhaps grew up observant. But his soul There's no passion. There's no love. There's no joy. There's no meaning. It's more like a burden. It's mechanical. It's by rote. When you're sitting on such a treasure, when you're already doing mitzvot, you know what a mitzvah is? A mitzvah is divine. A mitzvah is God's essence. You're touching the divine. So when you're doing a mitzvah, you should be jumping from joy. The gift, the opportunity. 
that we have to connect with Hashem, we have to give Hashem such nachas, we can make such a difference, that we matter. Every thought of ours can make such a huge difference. Every speech, every act. That alone should inspire us, should elevate us. We should be jumping from joy by the opportunity that God gave us. So instead of focusing on the guilt, everything that we're not doing, we should focus more on the joy, on the positive, what we could do. And you know, when you fill your life with positive, with deeds, with mitzvot, then, then automatically when you fill your life with light, there's no room for darkness. The darkness just melts away. You have no time. You're so busy doing mitzvot, you have no time to sin. <laughs> You're busy running to the coil in the morning. You have no time, you have no time to, for, for, for nonsense. You're busy. When your mind is occupied, when your life is occupied, when you're fulfilled, then you have no time. Automatically, instead of fighting it head on, instead of focusing and dwelling on the negative, everything that we're not doing, and our imperfections, and being harsh on ourselves, because the truth is, no one in the world could be as harsh with us as we are with ourselves. If you played a tape of the way you spoke to yourself, you'd be horrified. Your worst enemy doesn't speak to you like, like you speak to yourself. <laughs> and, and you know what and the truth is it doesn't get us anywhere because all it does is it makes you feel horrible it makes you feel guilty you beat, you beat yourself up you try to beat yourself into submission and at the end of the day you just wear yourself down it exhausts you and you're not, you're not in the mood of changing and even if you may succeed in temporarily beating yourself into submission, it doesn't last. Because, you know, your heart is not into it. Your mind is not into it. So yes, you may force someone to do the right thing, but he'll find a way to, you know, he'll find a way to overcome. It doesn't work. Versus the joyful approach, focusing on the positive, focusing on who you are and what you have, you possess. You have a divine essence. You have a divine spark. You have a neshama. You have a soul. And therefore, you, you want to do the right thing. And you have a connection, and you want to strengthen that connection. And you feel elevated and inspired and moved and touched. Because you may have to force yourself to do the mitzvah. And it may be very difficult for you to do the right thing. But once you do it, you feel like a million dollars. No one ever regrets doing the right thing. You do the right thing, you feel like a million dollars. And no one can take that away from you. And that leads you on to do the next mitzvah. And to continue to grow. And that's all Hashem asks of us. Hashem wants our hearts. Hashem is genuine. A person who has physical challenges, is his uh, good deeds, are his good deeds uh, weighted differently than an ordinary person? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because the the quality of the the good deed depends on the challenges of a person. Could be inner challenges, could be outer challenges. It makes it so much more meaningful. Because the fact that the person has to overcome these challenges makes it, makes it that, that's, that much more uh, uh, meaningful. That's why in general, our good deeds mean so much versus the angels. Hashem, the angels don't give Hashem as much pleasure as, as we do. Why do we human beings give Hashem so much pleasure? We're human. We're flawed. How can we compare to an angel? Angels are perfect. And yet, quite... Frankly, it's, compared to a human being, angels are pretty boring. No, Malach is a Malach Why? What's the difference between an angel, a Malach, and a human being? So as the Rebbe once said, once gave a beautiful analogy, he said, 
why, why the difference between a photograph and a portrait? A photograph costs five cents. A portrait? What was the most expensive portrait was sold last year before the, the financial tsunami? For over $100 million. Why? A, a photograph is much more accurate than a portrait. It's perfect. A perfect replica. And yet it's worth pennies. Portrait is worth millions. Because a photograph, it's a machine. Took an exact copy. How much value does it have? The, the portrait was made by an artist. An artist is a human being who struggles, who has to deal with issues in his life, who has a vision for life, and he tries to express it in the canvas. That's invaluable. That's the difference between an angel and a human being. Angels, there are a billion, a dozen. One angel looks like the next. Each angel is infinite angels. But it's like, it's like a machine. It's like a, there's, there's no surprises. There's no, everything, is, everything is predictable. You know exactly what's going to happen tomorrow. You know exactly where the angels are going to be tomorrow at 3 o'clock. They're busy praising God 24-7. No coffee breaks. <laughs> they don't stop to eat. Not going to Chinese restaurants. They don't have to worry about bills. Purely divine, spiritual, sublime beings pure energy, and their whole being is purely godly, versus a human being, flesh and blood, with urges and instincts, and conflicts, and full of contradictions, and ridiculous absurdities, and and we have to struggle with all of these things that we have from within, and from without, and circumstances, and environment, and yet, when we, as imperfect as it is, when we open our mouths and we pray, when we take a, a penny, money, the ultimate ego symbol, and we give it to tzedakah, we do something selfless with it. We overcome our egos and we do something selfless and kind with it. When we pray and we study Torah, we do a mitzvah, it has infinite value. It, it's, it's a portrait. Hashem hangs it up. Hashem is so proud. Versus when there's no challenge. So within human beings itself, those human beings will face greater challenges. Obviously, that would be there's so much more value. There's so much more meaning so much more precious. And that's why Hashem gives each one of us challenges that are custom-made for us. Just like you have custom suits, every one of us has a custom-made suit. Most expensive. Made from Hashem Himself. The tailor-in-chief. And that's why, if you want to know what's your mission in life, look at those areas that are most challenging in your life. Because that's your goal. That's your... Fort Knox. That's where the gold is buried. You think that you're going to serve Hashem by ignoring and avoiding those areas in your life that are so difficult? I can't deal with it. The more I change, the more I stay the same. I might as well quit, quit while I'm behind. I can't budge. I can't change. Nothing is happening. I'm going to focus on those areas of my life that have no resistance, that are easy and fun and simple. Wrong. That's where... That's where it's at. And until you deal with your issues, until you overcome that difficulty, you will never find peace, you will never find happiness, you will never be free, you will never feel liberated, you will never fulfill your mission in life. You're avoiding the issue. And you can't go through life, your whole life, avoiding issues. So when a person is challenged in a certain area, that's your issue. Hashem is, Hashem is sending signs, neon signs, hello? Hello? 
Focus right here. Concentrate right here. This is where the treasure is. No, no, I don't want... I turn, we turn this way, we turn that way, we, we turn every other way except that one area which we have to face and confront and deal with, which we don't want to, because it's so difficult. It's like climbing a straight wall. You feel there's no progress. But that's the one area we have to focus. And Hashem gave us all the strength that we need to be able to deal with that area, to overcome that challenge. Hashem doesn't give a person a challenge they can't handle. Anyone who thinks that it's too difficult for me denies Hashem. means you don't believe in Hashem. Because if Hashem put you in this position and He gave you this challenge, Hashem doesn't think it's too difficult. Otherwise, He wouldn't put you into that position. Hashem thinks that you have what it takes to overcome that. And being tested, that alone is the greatest vote of confidence. If you have any doubts, it's the ultimate vote of confidence. Hashem is saying, I believe in you. Otherwise, I wouldn't give you such a test. You think I want you to fall flat on your face? I believe in you. You have what it takes. Hashem is giving us the test and stepping back and saying, you can do it. You can do it. You have, every, you have what it takes. How do you achieve a more heartfelt, pure mitzvah, or pure prayer? Let's say you're just starting out. It's a very good question. It's a lifelong... Uh, it's a lifelong uh, journey, and we also have ups and downs. Don't forget, we're human. We're constantly changing. There are moments, there are days when we feel inspired. And then there are moments when we feel, we feel dead inside. We feel no inner movement, no, no, no inspiration. We feel numb inside. And... The challenge is being able to work through all these different moods, all these ups and all these downs. Um, firstly, we start out with the knowledge that deep down we have in the Shama, we have a soul. We're not trying to create something that's not there. The connection is already there. We're not doing the mitzvah in order to connect with God, No. It's because we're already connected with God. That's why we do the mitzvah to express that connection. So that changes our whole perspective. I'm not trying to become reborn again, to reinvent myself, to become some otherworldly, holy... No, on the contrary. I'm trying to peel away the layers and to reveal my natural self, which is my divine spark, my divine essence, which is located at the core and essence in the center of my being. So that's the foundation where I'm starting from. I'm starting with that knowledge that I have in the Shama. And that faith is there. It's innate, it's inherent, it's inborn. That's my foundation. Now from there, you work your way up. You want to engage your mind. The more you learn, the more you study, the more you understand, then the more you're open to change. A person who's spiritual is open to change. A person who's not spiritual is very materialistic, is not open to change. And, th- and that's, what we're, that's what we're learning in this chapter Without the Rebbe says the comparison, we're going to learn the comparison. If you do a mitzvah without intent, it's like a body without a soul. So the Rebbe is going to explain that a body is like a stone. The body without the soul is like a stone. A stone is dead. A stone doesn't move, doesn't budge. We can all relate to it because many times we feel like stones. Our heart is like stone. We're not, we don't want to change. We're complacent, we're comfortable, we're smug and content. And we don't budge, we don't move. 
I am who I am and I'm not going to change. Spiritually, there's very little you can do with such a person. A person who's like a stone, who pronounces, I am a stone, I am not moving. No one is going to budge me. There's nothing you can do with such a person. The person has, has put himself into a stone, has made himself into a stone. Unbudgeable, unmovable. Versus a person who's spiritual, a person who opens his mind, a person who opens his mind to understand, to comprehend, a person who opens his heart, a person who opens himself up. That's a person who's alive. When there's life, there's movement, there's change, there's movement, it's dynamic, it's vibrant, it's alive. You can't compare a stone to a soul. You can't compare the body to the soul that makes the body come alive. The body is a soul, is energy, is life. Versus the body itself is, is a stone, is a corpse. It's unmovable, unbudgeable. It just exists. That's all it does. It doesn't do anything. So it's important. That's why the Talmud says it's important for a person. Hashem wants us to be spiritual. He doesn't want us just to go through the motions and do the mitzvah, do the deed mechanically, by rote, superficially, externally. No heart, no soul, no, no mind, no intent. No. A person has to be spiritual. Spirituality is very important. Because when you're spiritual, you're open. You're open to change. And you're open to godliness. You're open to something greater than yourself. When you open yourself up, your life expands. Then you can take in you can connect, you can take in a lot of godliness. You can reveal a tremendous level of godliness versus a person who's like a stone. Barely exists. Does the bare minimum. That person is not going anywhere. It's not doing anything. It's doing minimum and there's no life, there's no soul. So there is a lot, with, a lot that we can do through effort, learning, thinking about it, trying to internalize it, listening, paying attention, being attentive, opening yourself up, being receptive, putting your ego on the side for a moment. That's the hardest of all. And opening yourself up to receive something and then there's some inner movement. Then there could be some inner change. Then, they could, then there's life. Then you come alive. So it's effort. The, the, the Torah calls prayer avoida. Avoida means it's effort. It's hard effort. It's work. It's a person who has to work on himself. It's work. H- how does a person become a mensch? You think it just happens like that? With the snap of a finger? <laughs> we wish. You take a pill and you become a mensch, right? No, 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 one, no, one has, no one ever thought of that pill yet. It doesn't work. There's no instant. Even in this instant society where everything is instant, instant coffee and instant, everything is instant, there's no instant mensch. It doesn't happen. There's no such thing. You have to work. It's work. You really have to work on yourself. You have to be willing to change and you have to be willing to grow and you have to be willing to challenge yourself. And, you know, it's work. It's rewarding work because you're polishing a diamond. You see the diamond emerge. You see this raw hide of the animal suddenly turn into into silky leather, beautiful silky leather that's beautiful and comfortable. And, but it takes effort, very hard effort. You know how much effort it takes to take raw hide of an animal and transform it into something silky and beneficial and something that people enjoy? To take, to take right, the raw hide of an take the raw human being. A human being is, we're a diamond in the rough. Hashem created us, we're in the rough. 
children by nature are very nasty, selfish, and self-centered. They, they can't be any, any, other, any way else. They are, by nature. We're not, and many people never grow up. On the passport, they may be 90 years old, but spiritually, they never grew up. They're still nasty and selfish and self-centered and self-absorbed. And never grew up. Never learned to love, never learned to give, never learned to think about another person. And it's hard effort. You know, that transition doesn't just come with a snap of a finger. It's learning, it's praying, it's good deeds, because we are affected by our behavior. Judaism is very much behavioral psychology. You are affected by your behavior. Take a person who's naturally very mean and nasty and let him act kind. It's an act. He knows it's an act. Everyone else knows it's an act because by nature he's the nastiest, meanest human being imaginable. But he says, you know what? I'm a human being. I can choose to act. I'm a good actor. So I'm going to pretend I'm the nicest person. I'll smile to everyone. I'll give tzedakah. I'll share my wealth. You know what's going to happen if he continues that act after a while? It's going to rub off. Suddenly he'll become a nice person. Good person. Vice versa. You have a person who by nature is the nicest person in the world. But he never once comes to davening, never once learns, never opens a Jewish book, never learns, never takes his vitamin T, never once does a mitzvah, <laughs> doesn't give a penny to tzedakah. You know what's going to happen after a while? This nice, kind, gentle person will become a very rough, nasty, selfish, self-centered, self-absorbed human being, horrible human being. Because you are affected by, by your nature. It's just the way it is. And psychologists have proven it. If, if a person will smile, even if you don't feel like smiling, after a while, you'll feel, uh, you feel, you feel the smile. you feel a genuine warmth to another person. Try acting kindly to another person, even if you don't feel like it. Even if they don't deserve it. You know what's going to happen after a while? You'll start liking that person. It's just human nature. That's what happens. You act kindly to a person, you start liking them. So behavior leads. So it's all of the above when you, when you behave appropriately. And you pray. And you give tzedakah. And you study Torah. You know, that's how you soften this person. That's how you take this diamond in the rough and you, and you polish the diamond. Suddenly the diamond emerges. All those wonderful Jewish personalities, all those wonderful Jews that we all knew and know, where, where do you think it came from? You think it just came like that? No. It came through a lot of work, a lot of effort, of discipline, a lot of sincerity, and a lot of effort. And slowly but surely, the diamond emerges. Because potential, we all have that potential. We all have that diamond. The potential is there. We're born with it. But you know what? If you dig, if you dig the ground, what are you going to find? Dirt. Schmutz. Dirt. But in order to find the gold and the diamond and the silver, you have, you, have to, you have to dig deeper, geologists, to find a living well. You have to drill. You have to drill. And don't give up. If you drill and all you come up with sand, you don't, you don't give up because you know you're going to drill long enough, you'll, you'll, you'll hit, you'll, hit uh, you'll find the well. Our neighbor in the country just told us that they found uh, the gas company, the biggest gas companies in America, just um, leased his property because they think that he's sitting on one of the richest <laughs> gas things in the United States right next door to us. The bad news is they, they don't need us. Once they go into him, they... <laughs> but, you know, you never know what you have. If you dig deep enough, you'll discover the biggest riches. They just found in Israel, they found one of the largest gas findings in Israeli history. Where was that? Just, just a week ago, two weeks ago. 
Israel, Israel has enough gas now to be self-sufficient for the next 30 years. Well, the Lebanese are, are claiming it belongs to them also. But, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> them. but you have to dig. If you dig deep enough, you'll find the riches. Hashem gave us potential. Nature is raw potential. That's all nature is. Nature alone is nothing. Nature is mediocrity. We live in a society that worships nature. Follow nature, whatever, act whatever is natural, do whatever is natural. And Judaism says, no, no, no. Nature is mediocrity. You want to sparkle. You want to shine. You want to, that diamond, that potential to emerge. You want to discover that, that uh, the gold and silver and diamond within you. You want to take that raw, rough, smelly leather hide and transform it into something silky and special, precious, valuable. You're going to have to work very hard. Judaism is no, it's not, it's not an easy cake. It's not, nothing easy. It's a program. It's a 613-step program. <laughs> Called the 613 mitzvot. <laughs> day in and day out. Seven days a week. But you know what? It's rewarding. It's worthwhile. Because if you put in the effort, you see. You see the nachas. You see what emerges. Life is enjoyable. Life in this world becomes enjoyable. This world becomes a garden of Eden. Because this world could be a garden of Eden. Marriage could be a garden of Eden. Family could be a garden of Eden. But it all depends on our input. What we put into it. We put nothing into it. You don't put anything into it. You, get, you, 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 you take nothing out. It's a potential. God gave us potential. But we're his partners. God says, I can't do it without you. I'm giving you all the potential. You're sitting on a gold mine. I placed you, the gold is right there. Especially, your gold max is especially right behind those difficult areas in your life. That, that's, that's where your gold max is. But now it's up to you. I'm giving you the tools. I'm giving you everything you need. But you have to want to do it. I can't do it for you. No one can do it for you. Your parents can't do it for you. Your mentors can't do it for you. Even God himself can't do it for you. We have freedom of choice. So you have to want to do it. If you want to do it, there's nothing stopping you. Every one of us will find that diamond in the rough and allow that diamond to emerge but you have to want that's the sincerity the sincerity is and that's something you can't fake you have to want it you have to really want it if you want it it will happen because anything that we really want in life happens and if we don't want it it won't happen we think we want it we say we want it we claim that we want it but we're we're deluding ourselves it's not true if we really wanted it there's nothing stopping you have total freedom of choice. Okay, so we'll learn a little inside. Truth in terms of the concealment of countenance. The degree to which countenance, the inner aspect of the divine life force is concealed. The light. The divine creative life force is the same in both body and soul. It is concealed equally in both. What sustains the body? The body has to have an energy that sustains the body. Otherwise, the body would cease to exist. Anything that exists in this world must have an energy that sustains it. So, but on the other hand, you can compare the life force, the energy within the stone, even though it also has a soul that brings it into existence, versus the life force that animates the body, versus the mind, awareness, the human soul. So although both the stone and the human life 
both share one thing, and that is that the light is screened. The light is not a clear light. Light points to its source. Nothing in this world points to its source. When you look at a stone, do you see God? Does the, point, does the stone shout, there must be a God in the world. Look, there's a stone. Who created me? Why am I here? It's an astonishing fact that there's a stone. Where did the stone come from? We don't question, we don't ask. We take it for granted, Mother Nature, we feel comfortable and we go back to sleep. We don't ask any questions. Well, the same is true with the human life. What is, what is the one thing that all existence have, has in common? What is the ultimate drive, the ultimate motivational drive? Ego, self-preservation. From the amoeba down to, to the human being, the highest, most evolved human being. It's all about ego. Do you sense godliness? No. Spirituality could be the ultimate ego trip. Nothing to do with God. It's about my fulfillment, my enrichment. Nothing to do with God. So here, we are completely oblivious of God. That's what he means, that the, the energy in this world is screened. It's like the light of the sun goes through the screen. It's a filtered light. It's not the same light. It doesn't have the same clarity as light from the sun that comes directly from the sun. Because you don't see the sun. Because of this screen, you don't see the sun. I see light, but it doesn't point to the sun. Where's this light coming from? I don't know. But I don't see the sun. The screen blocks out the sun. So all forms of life in this world, not only the material, the tangible, but even the most highest levels of consciousness, the highest form of life in this world, which is human life, human soul, it, it comes through a veil, a screen. I don't see godliness. We see life. We see energy. But do we make the divine connection that life is a miracle? We don't make that connection that life is a miracle. We don't sense godliness. We should, but we don't. We don't make a connection. Life is a miracle. Where does life come from? All the scientists in the world can't create the life of a fly. Where does life come from? It comes from within. It's purely divine. We should be jumping from joy when we see the miracle of life before our very eyes. That there's life. It's inexplicable. There's no logical explanation for it. But we take, we take it for granted. I'm alive. Finished. I don't question it. I don't ask any questions. And it feels so natural. Yes, yeah, so we feel the energy. We feel that life is, is energy and life, and you can't compare it to the stone that's, that's immovable and is just tangible and just exists. It doesn't do anything, doesn't grow and doesn't roam and doesn't imagine and doesn't think versus human life that's so full of life and energy and creativity and, and intellect. But in turn, in relation of the screen, they're both equal. Neither of them point to God. Neither of them point to their source. Just like the stone doesn't point to its source, doesn't point to anything divine, the fact that it exists, we don't even sense it, we don't even notice it, we don't even pay attention to it, we don't question that existence. So too, the life of the soul, we don't, the life of a human being, we don't either question. You would think that creative people would be the most divine, the most godly people in the world. Imagine someone who has the gift, the divine gift of creativity. Where does creativity come from? Only God is creative, and God gave a human being the ability to create, to imagine. You would think that that person would be the most divine, the most godly person in the world. You would think that universities would be the most godly places in the world. You would come in, you would feel the reverence, you would feel the awe of godliness. Before the beer, after the beer. You don't sense anything. There's no sense of divine, there's no sense of godliness. There's zero sense of anything. There's no sense of holiness. On the contrary. On the contrary, 
Many of the most creative people were the most arrogant people. Anti-Semites who hated God. So you see that there's a screen, there's a veil, there's a disconnect. So it doesn't matter the form of life. The form, either form of life, there's a veil, a complete disconnect. But nevertheless, the life itself, you can't compare the life of a soul, of a human being, human life, to the life form of a stone. A stone is physical, intangible, immovable. You don't see any life. It's like dead. The corpse versus the soul that animates the corpse, makes the body come alive. You see an energy. You see there's a life. So it's like the difference, it's like this, the, the difference between the two is like when this light is screened. Now you can have a little opening that just allows a little ray of this light to shine forth. Or you can have a huge opening. So you get a lot of this screen light in. That's the difference between these two forms of life. In the form of a stone, the life is highly concentrated. It's so concentrated, this screen light that goes through the veil, that's disconnected from its source, from its divine source, appears to be disconnected from its divine source. But all you get is a little ray of light it's enough light just to bring it into existence. And it's a stone, and it can sit there for thousands of years. It doesn't budge, it doesn't move, it doesn't change. Versus the, this light that goes through the screen and the veil, but the light that creates the soul, the human soul, this is energy, this is alive, this is changing, this is colorful, this has depth. So this is bringing in a lot of light. Versus just bringing in a tiny, tiny little drop of light. So here the, the energy is highly concentrated in this form of a stone. Versus in the form of a human life, it's an expansive energy. It's a revealing energy. There's a lot of energy involved. Tremendous amount of energy involved. So how could you compare a tremendous amount of energy to a tiny little, a tiny little energy to a tremendous amount of energy? So yes, they're both energy in this world in this physical, coarse world, which is a materialistic existence, an egotistical existence, not a divine existence, an existence that doesn't even acknowledge the divine. But on the other hand, the life force itself, this screen life force itself, there's a huge gap. This is a body, this is a, body a corpse, and this is a soul. And that's why the body is completely nullified to the soul. Because the body knows how insignificant it is in relationship to the soul. The body is nothing in comparison to the soul. So the body is completely nullified before the soul. So how can you compare a body to a soul, a corpse, to energy, pure energy? Intellect, emotions, a life, will, pleasure. How can, a life, so how can you compare the two? Imagination versus a stone. So the stone is completely nullified. The body, the corpse, is like the stone, is completely nullified before the soul. It's like within this world, it's one extreme to the other. Because here you have a tremendous amount of energy versus in the stone you have the most minimal amount of energy. Tiny little ray of energy. Concentrated energy. That, you, that barely brings it into existence. And that's about it. So although they're both distant from God, but nevertheless, this is more reflection of God in the sense that it, it brings in a lot of light. A lot of light, there's a lot of energy, there's a lot of potential. 
versus the tiny little ray of light, the stone, the corpse, there's, there's no energy, there's no life, there's no, it's like dead. No movement, no change. This is the analogy, and the, the moral of it is that when a person does a mitzvah and only does the deed, without any intent, without any heart, without any soul, without will, without pleasure, without mind, without... It's like the minimal light. It barely exists. You just, you just did the deed. That's all. But there's no, there's no energy. It's dead. Hashem is, is life. Anything that's connected to Hashem, connected to the source of life, also should be alive. The stone barely has any life in it. Its life is that it exists. That's it. It's materialistic. Versus pure energy is more a reflection of Hashem. Because it's connected to the source of life, so there's life. There's color, there's depth, there's a life, a live person. So when a person does a mitzvah with intent, and he engages his mind and his heart and his soul and his will and his pleasure, in the mitzvah then, this, this, there's, there's more of a revelation of Hashem in that mitzvah. Versus if you just do the mitzvah, you just do it coldly and mechanically, there's very little revelation of Hashem here. Just the bare minimum, a little ray of energy. That's all there is here. There's nothing else here. Versus when you do the mitzvah, your heart is on fire, and your mind is engaged, and you enjoy doing the mitzvah, and you want to do the mitzvah, then there's so much energy here. You've drawn Hashem, you've revealed Hashem. You've, you've brought down so much of Hashem's light into this mitzvah. There's so much more of a divine revelation in that mitzvah than if you just do the mitzvah cold-blooded and mechanical and superficial, external. So that's the analogy. He's trying to explain the depth of the analogy, why the, Talmud, why the Torah says if you do a mitzvah without intent, it's like a corpse without a soul, a body without a soul. A corpse. You have the body. You did what Hashem wants you to do. You're on the train but you're in fifth class. Hashem wants you to be in first class. He doesn't want you to do the mitzvah and hiding in the back. He wants you sitting in first class, luxuriously. Do the mitzvah. A mitzvah should, you should, it should be an expansive experience. You should be open to change, open to godliness. Your mind should be on fire with godliness. Your heart should be on fire. Your soul should be soaring, should be excited and enthusiastic about the mitzvah. Otherwise, there's a very tiny revelation of God through the mitzvah. Hashem wants a huge revelation. He wants Himself to be revealed, connected to the source. So yes, when you do a mitzvah, any mitzvah, you are connected. Even if you do a mitzvah cold-bloodedly, and mechanically, and superficially, you have a divine connection. You've done the mitzvah. You're in. You're on the train. So any mitzvah you do, with heart, with soul, without heart and soul, you are connected. It's the exact opposite of anything that exists in this world. Anything that exists in this world is through a veil, a screen, is disconnected. There's no divine connection. There's no obvious divine connection. Even the most highly evolved human form of life, human life, energy and imagination and soul and creativity and religion, spirituality, it's not really connected. It's a screen, it's a veil. But when you do a mitzvah, it's the exact opposite. Any mitzvah, anyone who does any mitzvah, no matter how superficially it may be, you've done something divine. A mitzvah is divine. You've done something holy. 
You can't take it away from the person. That person has done something holy. Just like when you do someone a favor. It doesn't matter what your intent is. You've saved that person's life. As the Talmud says, a person who goes down the street and loses a dollar bill, and a poor person who's starving to death who hasn't eaten in three days, finds that dollar bill. And you're upset that you lost that dollar bill. You really want that money. But that person ate, and as a result, you saved his life. You get the myth. Because the bottom line is, who cares what you feel, what you think? Personally, subjectively. You saved the person's life. The deed is done. Your dollar bill saved that person's life. So you get all the credit. So when you do a mitzvah, the fact that the deed is done, you've done the mitzvah, you've done something divine. A mitzvah is divine. Whatever your personal feelings, whatever, whatever state you're at at that moment. I'm in the mood, I'm not in the mood. I appreciate it, I don't appreciate it. I appreciate my Jewishness, I don't appreciate my Jewishness. Okay. I'm inspired today, I'm not inspired. I woke up on my left side, I woke up on my right side. It makes absolutely no difference. You put on the tefillin, you lit the Shabbos candles, you gave the penny to Tzedakah, you said the Shema. You have the mitzvah, period. You're on the train. You did something divine. Versus a person who can meditate from today till tomorrow. You could be the most religious person in the world. You could be Buddha, Mother Teresa herself. You're, you're off the train. You have zero. If you don't do the mitzvah, you have nothing. It's human. It's subjective. It's finite. It's limited. You can't even approach the divine. You can't even approach God. When you do what Hashem wants you to do, you've done the divine. You've touched the divine and the divine has touched you, period. There's no question. There's, no, there's not even a question. They also do the seven mitzvot Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah, I'm just using an example. If a person does something and there's no connection to the divine, just does it as a human being, no matter how, how highly evolved that human being is, we can't bridge the gap between the finite and the infinite. Even the most highly, even angels, purest angel, any finite existence, no matter how high and sublime, angels are meditating for thousands of years, 24 7. You can't bridge the gap between the finite and the infinite. A zillion, a billion, a trillion, zillion is not one iota closer to infinity than one. You can't bridge the gap. There's no connection. But a mitzvah, God gave us through us a rope. He says, this is what I want you to do. When you do what Hashem wants you to do, Hashem invests Himself in the mitzvah, the tiniest mitzvah, any mitzvah, any day of the week, any one of us. When you do that mitzvah, you've touched the divine. You have something done. You can't just... You couldn't just do no. this without even knowing no. about it. You wind up doing it. Oh, well, there has to be a minimal... There's different levels of consciousness. Of course, if you're sleeping and you're doing a mitzvah, that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> Unless if you're sleeping and you're thrown into the mikvah. You went into the mikvah, you're pure. Um, but most mitzvah has to have a minimal level of consciousness. Right. But, but you don't know it's a mitzvah. Yeah, if you don't know it's a mitzvah, right. It has to have a, yeah, you have to know it's a mitzvah. You have to know it's divine. That, that's a minimal well, level of consciousness. You know there's a reward, you don't get it for, doing, for returning the item. When, when it comes to tzedakah, it doesn't matter. Tzedakah, the, the deed was done. Like in that case, the extreme example, the person is upset that he lost his money, but he saved the person's life. He has the mitzvah, 100%. Because when it comes to talk, it doesn't matter what your intent is. You save the, the deed is done. So the deed is primary. There's no question about it. The deed is primary because the deed is divine. But nevertheless, Hashem wants us, Hashem wants us to do the mitzvah, not just to do the mitzvah. He wants us to do the mitzvah with kavana, with intent, heart and soul. He wants us to be moved, to be inspired, to be open to the divine, to be open to change and to grow and to... 
and um, and it's only then that we truly we truly do the mitzvah the way Hashem wants us to do the mitzvah. It should be a total experience. Hashem wants that the whole, every fiber of our being, every bone in our body, every part of us, to be fully engaged in the mitzvah. It's divine. Just like Hashem is an absolute being, Hashem wants us, the mitzvah, the mitzvah is divine, so the mitzvah has to reflect that divine aspect. If you're doing the mitzvah cold-bloodedly and externally and mechanically, but your heart is not into it, your soul is not into it, and you're elsewhere. Your mind is elsewhere. Your heart is elsewhere. And you're just doing it because, you know, I grew, I'm doing I'm conforming. I'm just doing it. I grew up this way, so I'm doing it. That's not what Hashem wants. It's not reflecting the divinity of the mitzvah. The mitzvah is divine. Hashem is absolute. So the mitzvah also has to touch you absolutely. Your whole being has to be touched and reflect that mitzvah. Your mind is concentrated on the mitzvah. Your heart is on fire as a result of the mitzvah. Your soul is in ecstasy, is inspired because of the mitzvah. You're moved. It's joyful. It's passionate. It's, it's, you're vibrant. You're alive. Hashem wants us to be alive. So it's not enough just to do the deed. Hashem wants that the mitzvah should be illuminated. He wants us. We should. It should be lit up. There should be a lot of light. It should reflect Hashem. The mitzvah has to reflect Hashem. That's what Hashem wants of us. That's the point He's trying to make. The mitzvah has to reflect Hashem. God is life. Anything connected to life, to the source of life, is alive. So the neshama is alive. You can't say the same about the body. The body is a corpse. The body doesn't reflect Hashem. The body is dead. There's a minimal ray of light. There's hardly anything there. It's barely just bringing it into existence. There's no growth. It doesn't even have the ability to make it grow. It's not even like, a, like something organic that grows. It just sits there for thousands of years, doesn't budge, doesn't grow, doesn't change, doesn't move. That's not a reflection of Hashem. A mitzvah is divine. If a mitzvah is divine, it has to reflect Hashem. It has to be like light. Light reflects the sun. The sun is a luminary, and the light also reflects the same quality of the sun. It gives off light, it gives off heat, because it's a reflection of the sun. The soul is alive. So when the soul comes in contact with the body, it brings it to life. It has to be, God is the source of life. So anything that's connected to God has to be alive. So when you do the mitzvah with kavana, with intent, you're reflecting Hashem. You're, you're bringing in Hashem's light. There's movement, there's change, there's life. When you do the mitzvah dead, no passion, no joy, no life, out of guilt, with such negativity and negative energy and just doing it so morosely and so long-faced and sad, nebuch, I have to do this mitzvah, nebuch, I have to go to shul, <laughs> nebuch, lightning is going to strike if I don't. My mother's going to beat me up. I mean, Nebuch. This is, this is, you do a mitzvah? This is not a reflection. Yeah, so you did the mitzvah. You're on the train. You're in fifth, sixth class. You're there. But this is a reflection of Hashem. This, where's the light? Where's the illumination? Where's the heat? Where's the expansiveness? Where's the, the energy? It has to be energy. There's no energy here. It's dead. It's a corpse. Yes, the corpse is there. You have the mitzvah. But the good news is, once you do the mitzvah, once you're on the train, it's easier to upgrade from third class to first class. If you're not on the train, it's impossible. <laughs> then you miss the boat. You can have all the meditation in the world, and all the religion in the world, and all the intensity, and all the spirituality, and all the depth, and all the philosophy. It means absolutely nothing. From a Jewish point of view, it means absolutely nothing. 
there's the screen, there's the veil, there's the disconnect. A million is not one iota closer to one than infinity. But when you do the mitzvah, what Hashem wants us not only to do the mitzvah, but do the mitzvah with energy, with light, reflect the source. It's a divine. Mitzvahs are divine. Let it reflect the divine. God is the source of life. That mitzvah has to be alive. And we know the difference when you do a mitzvah, when you do an act with passion, or you do a mitzvah, you do an act cold-bloodedly. Right? You all know when you're working and you're enjoying the work and you put your heart into it. And it's, a different, it's a different act. You know, when the actor is playing and his heart is not into it, you know, it's a different act. It's dead. Versus when the person is passionate, when the person is alive, when the person is sincere and is touched, genuinely touched by what he's doing, and genuinely moved by what he's doing, and genuinely inspired by what he's doing. How could you compare? The speech is different. The speech is alive. It's vibrant. It's passionate. It's genuine. Versus it's dead. There's no life. Soulless. A lot of speech and no light and no soul. Versus when it's meaningful and it's heartfelt. Those words are different. We all, we all were fortunate at least to have maybe one teacher that spoke words that were so heartfelt that it stayed with us for the rest of our life. Words that touched us for the rest of our life. Could you compare that to most words that we encounter every day and all the time? Society has never spoken in history like we've spoken in this, in this generation. There's been more verb, more verbiage <laughs> per person, per population <laughs> in this generation than ever before in human history. But there's very little said, there's very little meaning, there's very little point, there's very little uplift and inspiration. Versus if you're fortunate, you have that one person that said that one thing that will stay with you for the rest of your life. How could you compare words that are heartfelt, <clears throat> that are sincere, that are genuine, that are alive, that have an energy, that have a light, that reflect its source, that are connected to Hashem. Hashem is alive, and everything that's connected to Him is alive. And it gives fruit, it, gives, it bears fruit, versus a stone. A stone, a stone just sits there, it doesn't move, doesn't budge, doesn't give fruit to anything, it doesn't, doesn't do anything. So you did the mitzvah, mazalta, but it's a dead. Hashem wants the total picture, He wants all of us. And all of us doesn't mean <clears throat> concentrating on all those things that I'm not doing. All of us means when I'm doing this, let, let me push myself. Everyone in their own level. Let me push myself to do a little more. That, that's all of us. Because when you're doing a little more, it takes all of you. To take that baby step forward takes all of you. Very simple. Reduce it to something very concrete. But take that baby step forward. Do something you weren't doing before. Push it, Learn an extra minute of Torah. Say an extra psalm. Give an extra penny to tzedakah. Give an extra smile when you've exhausted all your smiles. Say a kind word even when you're not in the mood. Push yourself. You know what? That takes all of you. And only Hashem could appreciate. Hashem looks inside our hearts. Hashem knows what's genuine and what's not. He knew that you really had to push yourself to, to do that extra mitzvah. And it's so precious, it's so invaluable. And that's what Hashem wants of us. The kavan, the intent. Both body and soul are of this world where throughout the world and all its creatures, spiritual as well as physical, the light and life force issuing from the breath of Hashem's mouth are equally concealed. 
by concealment of the countenance and by the descent of the life force from level to level, by means of numerous powerful simons, contractions through the various levels constituting a chain-like succession of the world, finally closing itself in Khalifa Noga in order to give life to the totality of this material world. The Al-Gharari has here described a process whereby the divine life force descends from its lofty godly origin to the point where it creates and gives life to physical matter, i.e. from the breath of God's mouth, a reference to Mahud, of the world of Asilu, to the world of material, Asiya. He defines various steps in this process. One, descent from level to level. Two, numerous simsumim. Three, powerful simsumim. Four, clothing itself in Kupat Noga. Let us examine them individually. Descent from level to level. <coughs> to reach down to the level of Asiya, the life force must first descend from the world of Atsiri to Bariya, thence to Yatsira, and finally to Asiya. Within each of these worlds, there are many levels, and the life force must descend through them all before reaching the next lowest world. Numerous simsumim, each descent of the life force entails a contraction of the light and life force, lessening its intensity. But descent and simsumim alone, no matter how numerous, will still not make possible the creation of a physical being. The divine life force would still be at level where anything created by it would be a spiritual being, albeit of a lower grade of spirituality. The creation of physical matter presupposes another condition. Maimonides says that even though the Torah speaks the language of man, and the Torah speaks of God's eyes and God's ears, God's seeing and God's hearing, all the senses, except the sense of touch. Because even by way of analogy, you can't uh, ascribe to God the sense of touch because touch is the most tangible the most material the most physical you can't even talk even as an analogy you can't even talk relate to God touch you can use spirituality to relate to God even the senses of seeing means you you connect to something outside of you through seeing through hearing through smell but you can't describe touch to God because touch is so material so the antithesis of spirituality it's the, that you can't, you can't even describe. So how do you get, how do you get from this pure life force, this pure energy, to create something material and tangible? And that's the third step, the powerful tzimtzumim. Powerful tzimtzumim. Tzimtzumim, which entirely changed the character of the life force, and not only its intensity, to the point where it can create and give life to material beings. But even this type of tzimtzum cannot produce a world like ours, in which it is not apparent that God is the creator, and where, in fact, God's creations can be used in defiance of his will. It's like the, the mystery that the modern physics can't figure out. How do we get from pure atoms to the physical world that we see? You know, everything that we see, yourself, our, myself, this table, the chair, everything is all made up of atoms, pure energy. It's extrasensory, it's pure energy. And... We know that the world is 99.9.9% empty. There's nothing here. Even within the atom, the atom is empty. There's nothing there. The nucleus of the atom hardly takes up any space within the atom. But it just swirls so quickly that it creates a sense of solidity. So it appears to us, everything appears to us to be very solid. So how do we get, how do you transform pure energy into matter? 
It's the ultimate mystery of life. How do you get from pure energy into matter? So this is what we call the tzimtzum. This is the powerful tzimtzum that transforms powerful energy into matter. But still, it doesn't explain, even if this world has been transformed into matter when Adam was created, this world was physical, but it pointed to God. The, the tree pointed to God. The animals pointed to God. The paintings pointed to its creator. You saw a beautiful piece of art. This whole world is one big piece of art. It pointed its finger. Look, there's a creator. And the first thing that Adam did when he was created, he gathered all the animals and he sang a song to God. Let's, let's gather together and let's sing to God. Because everything in the world pointed to God. That's the meaning of the Garden of Eden. When this world is a Garden of Eden, when there's no screen, there's no veil, everything is crystal clear, everything is, is, is um, transparent. You sense its source, you sense the godliness, the root, the source of everything is godliness. So this world is a godly place, a wholesome place, a wonderful place. How do you get from there to a world like we have today? Where, where there's a veil, a complete screening. We don't sense, we don't, like blind, deaf, and dumb. We don't sense, we don't sense godliness, we don't feel godliness. You look at a tree, what God, when God? There's a creator, what creator, when creator? All you see is the tree. You see an existence that's trying to exist, that's trying to continue its own existence. All you see is ego. From the, higher, from the highest human form of life down to the amoeba, it's all about self-preservation. That's the ultimate, most powerful drive and motivation. There's no God. How do you get from that? So that's, that's the fourth level. Just the, one the life force. This is achieved only... Number four. The life force folds itself in Tupa Noga and thereby also in other Tupas. As will soon be explained, as defined in the first chapter of Tanya, Tupa Noga is a mixture of good and evil. Therefore, whatever receives its godly life force through the veil of Tupa Noga, in which the life force is clothed, can be utilized either for a holy purpose in serving Hashem's will through performing a mitzvah or for an unholy purpose in violating His will through a sinful act. In summary, through many descents and powerful tzimtzumim, the godly life force poses itself in Kipanoga and thereby gives life to all the creatures of this world. So I think we'll... Uh, See, that's the contraction we'll stop thing. There. What? That's the contraction thing. This is beyond the contraction, after the contraction, after the powerful contraction, then it has to go through a veil, through a screen. So even this light, this light that has descended from level to level, and it went through numerous contractions, and then it went through powerful contractions, this light is then revealed through a screen, through a screen. Even that light is too much. So that light has been went through a screen and a veil, and so much so you don't see any connection to its origin. Other places, it gives the analogy, it's like taking letters and scrambling them. When letters are together, it has meaning, it has a, a word, it means something. Taking the letters and scrambling them, now it's meaningless. It's gibberish. That's what this world appears to be. Hashem took the letters, and He scrambled it. You look at the world, it doesn't say anything. It's like, it's like stupidity, there's no story, it's not, it's not telling a story, as Shakespeare said. A lot of uh, sound in the... Very saying, saying nothing. Tales told by idiots. Saying nothing. Like, what's, what's the point? What's the purpose? Where am I going? Where am I going to? What's it about? The world doesn't say anything. There's no clue. You look at the world. I don't know. I'm just here. Surviving. Getting ahead. And that's what life is about. You don't stop and think, why am I here? What's the point? What's the purpose? Nothing in this world seems to be pointing you and saying, wait a minute. Why am I here? 
Why do I exist? This, this is a miracle. What's this all about? There has to be a purpose. Why do we come into this world and we go and it's like a flash in the pan and what's the point and what's it all about? There has to be a meaning why I'm here. We don't even ask those questions. We're like completely oblivious. We're blind, deaf, and dumb. We go through life unquestioning, unthinking, n- not even challenging our most sacred assumptions of ego and self. And, but this is part of the Hashem scrambled the letters. So, you, so it seems to have no meaning. And what's the mission of a Jew? We are crossword puzzle experts. Our mission is we have to descramble the letters. We look at this world, and by doing a mitzvah, by doing mitzvahs, we're taking the letters and putting it back together. By eating the food and making a blessing, and eating kosher, and not, God forbid, non-kosher. We're taking all these letters and putting it back into place. We're taking the puzzle, the pieces of the puzzle that's all mixed and seems seem to be meaningless. Now suddenly a clear picture emerges. Now we see the picture. Now we see godliness. Now we see life is coherent. Life has meaning. Life has purpose. That's the mission of a Jew. So of course this has to be done with heartfelt. This is a heartfelt mission. This is not something to be done superficially and externally and, you know... This is, not, this is not extracurricular. This is something you do with your whole heart and soul, with your whole fiber of your being and every bone in your body. And every, because this is, this is a life mission. Judaism is a way of life. Torah is a way of life. It's not just something we do, rituals, customs, at a time that's not day and not night, on a day that doesn't exist or once a year. This is life, every day of our life, 24-7, because this is reality. That's what it means. You do the mitzvah, it's heartfelt. You're a Jew, but you're a heartfelt Jew. You're committed, you're connected all the time. You're plugged in. You're alive, you have a sense of mission, a sense of purpose. You're dynamic, you're vibrant, you're joyful. And then the mitzvah comes alive. Then you're able to put all the pieces together. And then it all comes alive and comes, comes together so beautifully. To be continued. Thank you so much. This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.